Hey, Reality Family. Thanks for joining us for the teaching for this week. My name is John, and I have the privilege of being the pastor at Reality, and I hope that I get a chance to meet you in person someday soon. Uh, we are starting a... Well, before I get into our series, I wanted to, to just let you know we've had several weeks, if you're following online, where we haven't had videos because in our last series on the vision and practice of prayer, we've had many guest speakers come in, so they weren't able to make videos for us. But in this next series, we'll have videos every week, and we'll just kind of continue to assess as you know, uh, people are, are coming back to church, and that is our goal, to see us back in this place. But, uh, but if there are still lots of people watching online who are part of our uh, faith community here, we'll continue to release videos. So for the next nine weeks or so for this entire series, we'll have videos for you every week. But as I said, we are, are starting a new series, and uh, it's called What is the Church? What is church? What are we doing here? And there's several reasons that uh, we think this is a really important time to ask this question. First of all, the fall is uh, just a natural transition time. We're coming out of summer and we're moving into the fall. And so we make many choices and decisions. Am I going to get a gym membership again? Am I going to do these extracurriculars? Maybe some people have moved here, you know, as they've done over the last year, year and a half during COVID and kind of emerging uh, into this fall season to wonder, am I going to be part of a church family? So we want to share our vision of what we understand the Bible to say church is and what we're trying to do here. The second is that many of us are, are not only emerging from the summer season, but we're also coming out of this COVID time and uh, the slow emergence of the stop and starts uh, of all that that means. But for many of us, we've been away from church for two years, away from this community, which is so important to this church. And uh, there's been mostly negatives about that, at least for our church. But there's also been some positives, I think, for each of us uh, that we get to, instead of having to drive to church or, you know, put on pants for church, we can just stay at home and be with our families. It's a very convenient thing. So you may be wondering in the back of your mind, do I need to come back in person? How much and how often? What does that look like? And, and then I know that there are people who for two years, we haven't seen anyone. And, and we've had a lot of people move away from our church, move out of town. And so some of the relational bonds have been broken. And, and so maybe you're considering another church, uh, that this is not the community for me anymore. Or maybe that's your story, but you're coming from another church and wondering, is this the community that I'm going to tap into uh, in this next season? And so we want to address that and talk a lot about what the church is and what God has called us to. And then finally, I think just has nothing to do with the timing that, that a lot of us are, are renegotiating or reevaluating our faith commitments just in general. I know in our community, the findings from the, the graves of the residential schools has weighed heavily on many of our hearts, whether we're Aboriginal or not. And when we understand that Christians in the past have committed this terrible atrocity, it makes us wonder if we can continue to hold that into the future. And so maybe you're negotiating that. Or maybe you're going through some other uh, you know, existential crisis in this time, wondering about how you can carry this ancient faith or the faith of your childhood into uh, the next season. Or maybe you've had kids and you're wondering, you know, is this something for them? How, how can I uh, impart this onto them or should I even do so? And so because of all of these different questions, and, and there's probably many more, we want to explore in this season, what is church? What is the church? And what are we doing here? And so we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to take a, a good look at it. And, and as the series graphic shows, we're probably going to turn things upside down a little bit and try to get back to the blueprints of what it says in the Bible about being the people of God. 
and how that can translate into church today. And then specifically, we'll talk a little bit about our church. What are we trying to do here and what do we feel God calling us to for this next season? So I hope that you will join us uh, as we continue to traverse this and uh, talk about the different elements of what it means to be the people of God in Vancouver today. We're going to start with uh, looking at the overarching story or the narrative in the Bible about the people of God. And like all themes and stories, uh, this one starts in Genesis 1. Now, we just finished a long series on Genesis 1 this summer called In the Beginning. So you can go back and, and watch that and listen to that if you want to delve deeper. But today, we're just going to take a couple of those themes and elements out uh, to start our story. So when we looked at the, the Genesis 1, we saw, first of all, that the main character in the story is God. Chapter 1, verse 1, he is mentioned, that he is the one who exists. And this God is creating everything. That he takes uh, from the dark, from the darkness, from the chaos, from the primordial waters, and he creates a good world. The Bible uses the, the word, the Hebrew word shalom to describe this, which we might translate peace in our language. But this is not uh, just Chance the Rapper piece, you know, where it's just like blessing flowing down on me. But it's actually a blessing for the whole world. It's a flourishing for, for everyone, for the entire cosmos. So God creates this world, and part of the creation is this people that he makes. And the, the people are called to this very beautiful task, to image God into the world, to be the imago Dei, that we are to partner with God by being his reflection the reflection of this unseen God, the God who is in heaven, onto earth. And finally, God commissions these people. And he said, it's through you that I'm going to make my presence known in the world. So you now are the agents of shalom into the world. I want to continue my creative work through you. And the story ends in Genesis 1, well, the, really the beginning of Genesis 2, with God uh, resting. And this doesn't mean that he's just taking uh, some time to, you know, cool his engines. But God is actually, in the ancient Near East, coming and residing. He's, he's making his presence known. Genesis 1 is about the creation of a temple. And so God has created this, this dwelling place for himself where he can be in his creation with humans. And so he comes and takes up residence in that cosmic temple. He's reigning and ruling, and we are his images sent out to continue to do his creative work in the world. So it's a beautiful vision that Genesis 1 casts. But unfortunately, the good times only last for a few chapters because these people, these agents, they rebel. Rather than acting as images of God in the world, they try to take the place of being the main character of the story and becoming God himself. And so rather than extending shalom, uh, which is a reflection of God into the world, they end up extending selfishness when they try to elevate themselves to the status of God. And this shatters the relationship between the people and God. And he removes them from his presence. If you know the story, he kicks them out of Eden. And this starts uh, just a, a, a avalanche of terrible things. That's what sin always does in the Bible. It's not just one decision that I made that only affects me. It always has spiraling consequences out of our control. And so it so gets so bad that just a few chapters later, we read this in Genesis 6. When God saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. This is the polar opposite of Genesis 1 and uh, includes lots of words I tell my kids not to use, you know, uh, where it says every inclination all the time, nothing but 
Um, all these all or nothing statements, but it's trying to talk about how the sin has spiderwebbed into the world and just wreaked havoc. And it's reversing this beautiful creation that God has made. He made it from the darkness, from the chaos, into a good place. And sin is drawing us back to that darkness, creating evil and darkness in the world. And this creates the fundamental tension. These two chapters create the fundamental tension in the Bible. That God is the source of goodness. And he actually longs to create shalom and work through people to do it. But we are not good partners in the world. We're always reversing the uh, acts of his creation. So what will he do? That's really the question of the rest of the, the Old Testament. You know, these are just the first six chapters, and you might know the Bible is quite a thick book. So what is God actually going to do? Now, in the service here on Sunday, I'm going to show a Bible project video about the covenants, and I've linked to that below. My encouragement to you would to be to pause this video and go watch that. Um, but if you're at home and you are, you know, listening on earbuds and you're working in the kitchen or you're riding your bike, as I, I like to often listen to podcasts, I'll give you the black and white version uh, of what that video says. The good news is that God doesn't give up after people rebel against him. He doesn't give up on people and he doesn't give up on his world, but he continues with his vision of creating shalom in the world by partnering with specific people. The same thing he did with the first people in the first story. God finds people and he partners with them. And in the Bible, these are called covenants, the partnerships that he creates. And the Bible Project video uses the handshake to talk about this, where God reaches out his hand to people and he says, this is who I am. I'm going to be faithful to you. And I ask you to be faithful to me, to agree to partner with me in the world. And the first covenant that God creates is with a guy named Noah. And it comes shortly after that passage that we read. The world is a dark place. And God said, I'm going to work through your family in order to create shalom in the world. And the rainbow, you may know the story, is the sign of this covenant that God will never again uh, create, destroy the world in order to uh, get rid of this evil. Then the next covenant, but that covenant doesn't work with Noah. So the next covenant that God sets up with a, is with a guy named Abraham. And he says, through your family, I'm actually going to, I'm going to bless you and your family. You're going to have so many kids and it's going to be such a huge family that you are going to bless and you through this family are going to bless the entire world. But Abraham also is unfaithful to his part of the covenant. God doesn't give up. He, he chooses a group of people uh, called Israelites, the Israelites, the Jewish people. He rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea. And then he makes a covenant with them um, in the desert. And he says to them, I have saved you. I, I want you to act in this way that reflects me into the world in, your, in this you know, broader society. And they agree to do it in a very famous ceremony. But then they also break the covenant with God. But again, God doesn't give up, so he, he chooses a person named David. He's a king, and he says, you will reign as a king like I reign as a king. Please follow me and be a replica of who I am in this world. And David agrees, but then the story of David is it goes up where David is doing so many amazing things, but then he makes some terrible decisions, and it shows that he also breaks the covenant. But the emerging from this story, from all the wreckage of these broken covenants, are, are a group of people called the prophets. And they say that God will restore the covenants eventually. And in fact, that he'll create a new covenant. And it's into this story that Jesus enters. And he's talked about being from the family of Abraham, that he is faithful to that covenant. Jesus is also the, the faithful Israelite in the Mosaic covenant, that he obeys the law fully. He fulfills the law, we would say. And Jesus is also the true king in the line of David. 
And so he comes to be this faithful partner that we could never be. And, and it's that that highlights the most surprising claim about Jesus, that he's not just a man, but he's actually God himself coming to fulfill this story. Because God has always wanted to partner with people for his work in the world. And when we continually fail, God doesn't give up, but he comes because he wants to be present with us and he's committed to us and committed to extending shalom into the world. And so he comes finally and, and most uh, climactically in Jesus. He is the new creation. He is God become human. He is the perfect covenant partner. He fulfills all the covenant partners, or covenant um, promises that we continually break. And Jesus extends his blessing through his sacrifice. He's the vision of what it truly means to be human, to look like God. And he opens a door for shalom in this world through the giving of his life. And it's this story, this culmination of the story in Jesus and the new covenant that he sets up for us that we call the gospel, that God has come in Jesus in order to continue on this work in the world and this story that he started in Genesis 1. Like I said, this story is so central that I want to focus the rest of our time today on a few ways that we, we end up getting the story wrong or we twist it a little bit because it's a very old story and, and we come with different modern assumptions. And so I want to look at a few ways that I think we twist the story because if it's the foundational piece of what it means to be the people of God in the world, we need to really make sure that we're looking at it correctly, as correctly as we can. So the first way that I think we get this story wrong is by assuming that we don't need Jesus, that we actually don't need Jesus, that, that it's unbearable that God would need this perfect covenant partner. And in order to, to explain this, I'm going to use an object lesson that's often used to share the gospel with people. It's what I was taught when I learned how to share the gospel. So I want you to imagine with me that there are three glasses uh, in front of me. The first glass over here contains all urine in it, all pee. The second glass contains half pee and half water. And then the third contains mostly water with just a few drips of, of pee in it. So the way that this goes is I would say to you, do you would you drink the glass full of pee? Say no. How about the glass full, half full of pee and half full of water? Most people would say no. And then how about just a glass of, of water? It's really nice water, but I've just put a bit, like a couple drops of, of, of urine in there. And people would say no. And so this, this, uh, the way the analogy works is to say that's like sin in our lives. Um, God, sin is so abhorrent to God that it doesn't matter if we are full of sin or if we just have a few drops that we have failed and we can't be in God's presence. Now, one time I was sharing this with a person from mainland China. So I went through the steps. I said, would you drink the, the glass full of urine? He said, no, absolutely not. I said, how about the glass half full of urine, half full of water? He said, no, I wouldn't drink that. So I said, how about the final glass? And in my mind, I'm already going on to telling him about how this is how sin works. And he looked at me, he thought about it for a minute, and then he said, yeah, I would drink, I would drink the last glass. And I said, no, no, maybe you don't understand, like there's some urine in the glass, like it's water, but there's also pee in there. And I thought it might have been the, uh, just the language barrier between us that he didn't understand. But he said to me, you know, in China, the water quality is very bad. So I've been drinking water with pee in it my whole life. So it wouldn't matter to me if I drank water with a little bit of pee in it. And uh, at that point, my whole gospel analogy broke down, and I can't really remember what happened from there. But it, I, I, I stumbled to try to get him to the place of Jesus, but it didn't really work out very well. But the point of what I'm saying here is that person actually, that guy from mainland China that I was sharing with, uh, he, he had a point. That when we look at God, maybe we, we look at our lives, we don't think that we're just all full of 
you know, sin, all full of pee, but probably don't even think that we're half pee at half water. Most of us think of our lives as like, we're pretty good people and we just have a few flaws. Like we're not perfect. So the question comes up like, why can't God just drink a bit of pee water? Like if this guy from China would do it, why, why doesn't he just, you know, suck it up? Why doesn't he just forgive and forget? Does he, why does he have to expect us to be perfect? And most of the time, Christians will try to, to explain this in, in making you see that you're way worse than you thought. You might think your life is, is water with just a few drips of, of sin in it, but actually you're completely full of sin. And there's truth to that, that line of reasoning from the Bible, but I'd like to look at it a different way from the storyline that we just talked about. See, the, the story of the Bible that we just looked at actually casts a big and beautiful vision of what it means to be human. We are made in the image of God. We are made to carry his name and to creatively extend his shalom into the world. And the Bible says, this is what God has created you and I to be. Images of the internal and invisible God. And God, knowing this about each one of us, that we have this amazing potential for beauty and for creativity and for peacemaking and for relationship, he won't settle for us living for anything less. Because it's not because he's a tyrant, but he actually wants to see us flourishing, living up to our full potential and who we were in line with who we were made to be. And see, focusing how much pee is in the water is focusing on the negative. And again, there's room for that. I remember there's a, a woman who came to our church once and uh, the pastor was preaching out of a, a passage in scripture. It just basically said, like, we all suck. And she, she had been hearing her whole life, no, you're great. But she knew deep down inside, like, I'm a broken person. And that was a changing moment for her to say, actually, yeah, I do suck. I'm so glad someone has finally said it. I can be open about it too. And there's that theme in the Bible. But what I want to point out today is that the Bible starts in a different place. Not focusing on how much pee you have in your water, but that you were made for this crazy high calling to reflect the God of the universe into the world. And when we look at it that way, of course, we all fall short of that. But we don't make it all the way up because it's an amazing and huge calling. And, you know, I think deep down, our culture has an awareness of this similar idea. People don't believe in Genesis 1 or uh, that, that we are created in the image of God to reflect him. But we have crazy high standards for what it means for, for human potential, I'll say. That we believe as humans, we can achieve anything if we would just work together. And it shows up in how we treat people in leadership, these high standards. We find people who have influence or they're leaders in our country, for example, and we put their entire life under a crazy microscope. We expect them to be perfect. Now, sometimes this is really, really good. It turns out that people have huge skeletons in their closet that we should know about, and they're unfit to be leaders. They're actually terrible human beings. They're closer maybe to the full glass of pee than we thought. But sometimes this is not so good. We find somebody who had done something stupid 20 years ago. You know, you didn't use the right pronouns in 1992, and now we're going to shut you down for life. They've just got one or two drops in, a clean, uh, in, in clean water. They weren't perfect. And this is what we call cancel culture in our society. But it shows that our expectations for what it means to be human, the potential of what it means to be human, is super high. And this extends to our politics uh, you know, there's an election coming up, and as we look at the different candidates, we can feel like, man, none of them are perfect. None of their platforms for uh, these, these political parties are perfect. But we want that. We long for it. And some of you may be looking at the church like that, too. 
Maybe your last church, well, I know your last church wasn't perfect. And so you look at this church and you're wondering, hey, can I find a church that's going to be, reach the potential of what I know a church can be? You know, it's, it's, it's perfect, but it's not perfect, not super perfect. They still have room to be authentic and the people are cool, but not too cool. And we're looking for this perfect church. And I'll just tell you right now, as part of this series, like this is not the perfect church. It, it, it doesn't exist. We put this vision of what it means to be human that we know exists in our world, this longing that we have, this bottomless yearning, and we place it on people in our world, whether it's the perfect leader, the perfect politician, or the perfect church. And see, the Bible says the same thing. God says the same thing as as we are saying, but just to the different spin. He says he sees you and I, and he thinks you're worth more than you could ever believe. You're more beautiful than you thought. You're more valuable than you can imagine. And I'm not going to stop believing that about you. I'm not going to stop seeing the potential in you just because you fall short of that vision. And so when God sees us living short of it and treating other people in ways that fall short of it, that dehumanizes them or devalues them, he doesn't just step aside and be like, well, you know, no one's perfect. I should probably just learn to forgive and forget. They're just screwing up down there, but I got to let it go. God doesn't do that. Instead, the story of the covenants is showing that he acts again and again and again and again. And then finally, he comes himself. He puts the burden of this perfect covenant partner onto himself. The perfect God becomes the perfect human to show us what it truly looks like to be fully human to live up to the covenant. And this is why Jesus is so important, why all the stories in the Bible lead to him. Because the Bible says we do all fall short, but God is unwilling to lower the bar, not because he's ungracious or because he's a teetotaler or because he hates us, but rather because he knows who we are at the very core. So instead of lowering the bar, he comes himself. And in an act of generous self-giving, he recreates and restores us back to who we were meant to be. And that ultimately is what the gospel message is. It's an invitation not to make a slight change about our lives or to to see that our lives are actually the, the cup that's full of urine, but it's actually to be recreated and remade in the person of Jesus. That's why we need him, because he is the perfect one who is able to fulfill that covenant of God, but also to call us back into what it means to be fully human. The gospel is not a slight change, but an invitation to recreation. But secondly, the gospel is not just that we're recreated, but that we're free to come into relationship with God. The gospel is not just that we're recreated, but that we're actually free to come into relationship with God. This is the second thing I want to say. You know, so often when the story about Jesus is shared, it's done like this. You sinned, you have a problem, and and the, the consequences of that problem is that you're going to hell. And Jesus paid for your sin. He solved your sin problem, so now you're free to go. You're not going to hell. And there's a storyline there that, that, that can kind of be matched to the Bible, and in fact, some wonderful good news that can come out of that. But what I love about the story of the covenants that we just traced is that it states the gospel in a different way. The gospel is not just that Jesus has died for your sins so you're free to go, but that Jesus has died for our sins so that we're free to come. We're actually free to come into the presence of God, to walk into this relationship 
that stands at the center of the universe and at the beginning of the universe. That's there in the, in the first chapter of the Bible. We're invited to come. If you listen to the sermon from last week, uh, John Johnstone talked about this, the relationship of the eternal God with each other. We call it the Trinity in, uh, in, in, uh, in Christianity, that there is this amazing thing that's happening, that there's, God is, there's three uh, God is three, but he's also one. He's so close that he's three in one. And we are invited into that relationship. We are invited to come into that community. And that will change who we are. So it's not just that we're invited free to go because our sin problem is, is taken care of, but we're invited into that triune relationship of the eternal God. And that changes us. But not only are we free, not free just to go, but we're free, or free to come into relationship with God, but we're also free to come into relationship with each other into a community or a family of believers. That just like the first story in the Bible, God doesn't call us to go on his mission of shalom alone, but rather he invites us to do it in community. And he says, through our differences, just like in Genesis 1, it says God created the male and female, that they're same, they're both human, but there's differences. And it's in those differences that we will actually reflect the God of the universe into the world. And, and through Jesus, he invites us back into that same community a community, a family of believers. Before Jesus, uh, you know, anytime we enter into a group of people, we're always going to prove ourselves, to try to get something for myself and acting like a consumer. So maybe I come into a community of people and I'm trying to wonder who here is like me. If you're single, is there someone here that I can date or, or possibly could be a partner for me? Are there people in a similar stage of life? What can I get out of this? But after Jesus, we are actually free to come and be part of a body in a giving way because that's what Jesus has done for us. That's what God has done for us. So we're free not just to go, but free to come into relationship with God and into relationship with each other. And you see the difference. I'm free to go is a transactional way of looking at the gospel. I've got this sin problem and I need to get it taken care of or else I'm going to go to hell. But if we look at it in the story of the covenants, the gospel is actually that I'm free to come. I'm actually free to take a new direction in my life and, and new foundational relationships. I'm invited into the relationship of the triune God and his people. It's a fundamentally different thing. So, but third, the gospel is not just that we are recreated and free to come, but that we are commissioned to participate. And we'll end here. And we focus on a narrow gospel, an individualistic gospel about me and my sin problem. We miss out on the grand narrative of what's actually happening, this narrative that I've tried to help trace for us. That God hasn't given up on his plans for the world that started on page one of the Bible. But he's continuing on. And he's restoring each of us not only to who we were made to be and the family that we were made to be a part of, but somehow through this group of people God is continuing on his creative work of shalom in the world. See, God has always worked through people. It hasn't changed from page one until today. There's no plan B. God is committed to working through us in the world. And that's what the gospel is. That God is saying, I'm all in with you as people. The world is broken. And, and you know, like, I just don't know about you, but the last year and a half during COVID, has, has it shown anything else than that our world is fundamentally broken? Before COVID, I feel like it was pretty hard to convince people that our world is broken. But now I feel like it's maybe the easiest thing to talk about. And God is saying, I'm all in. And I know the world is broken, but I'm committed to doing this work of shalom, this work of restoration, this work of creative beauty 
and relationship. I'm committed to all of that through y'all, through the church. A group of people in a place who agree with God about who we are in the state of the world and receive the good news about Jesus, the covenant fulfiller. And what it means to be part of this family and to be part of this commissioning, to, to be part of the shalom in the world. Sorry, that's about five to be parts of. But what it means to, to join in is just to also push all our chips in with Jesus and say, I'm going to use my life, my time, my energy, my talents, my treasure to be part of this story, the story that God has started at the beginning of the Bible and wants to write out into our world through this group of people today. So that's the story behind the church. A couple questions just to to consider as I close us here. The first, where do you find yourself in this story? You know, for some people listening, this could all be very new to you. I don't know where you are, and I don't know where you're at, but that's great. And and thanks so much for taking some time to listen, and I hope it made sense, and, and, and I hope you don't hear this as any rush or any pressure to do anything. But I want to say to you, God is inviting you into a story. In fact, the Bible would would say not only that there's this amazing vision of what it means for us to be human, that God is not only calling you to, but creating a way for you to be restored to. But Ephesians 2 says that there are are, um, good things, things that God has called you specifically to do in the world, that he set out before the beginning of time. One of my favorite commentators says it this way, that there's hands that only you can hold. There's places that only you can extend shaloms. There's ways that your face will reflect God's face that mine can't. And we need you in this community to be a fuller picture of who God is. He's drawing us in like a mosaic that's going to paint the face of Jesus. And there's areas that will be lacking within our body if, if you are not part of this family. And so the invitation to you is just the invitation to take God's hand like it shows in that video. God is reaching his hand out to us through Jesus again and again and again. And he's reaching his hand out to you. And what, the, what it means to, to walk into the people of God and walk into the story is just to reach your hand back. And we have an ancient practice that we do here called baptism, which we can walk you through, which is the practice of saying yes to Jesus and to taking this story that we're talking about and making it your own and walking into it. And we'd love to talk you through that and to do it together. Um, so please get a hold of us if, if that's something that you want to do. You know, for others of us, the gospel is, is not new news. We've heard this before, and maybe um, you believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sin your whole life. But you're not living in the story that we've outlined here. The gospel has been an invitation just to go, to be free of your sin burden, rather than an invitation to come to come into God's family, into relationship with him, and into relationship with God's people. Or the gospel has been an individual decision that you've made and not a commission to participate with God's people into extending shalom into the world. And so you find yourself as someone who follows Jesus or says, like, he's, he's my Lord and Savior. He's taken care of my sin problem. He's cleansed my water. But you're living in a completely different story. Your story is wrapped up in your family or your job or your home or your investments or your vacation. And the gospel, I hope what you hear today is that it's an invitation for you to leave your small story or to keep that story that you have. You know, it's, I hope your family's doing well. I hope your cryptocurrency investments are, are, are doing well. If they are, please help me understand how, how I could do better. 
but that is a secondary story to place it in a lower bracket and to accept this big and beautiful story of what God is doing in the world as the number one story in your life. Because God wants to say to each of us that you are made for so much more. He won't give up on you because you are, until you trade your tiny story, sorry, in for his. God won't give up on you until you trade your tiny story in for his because you were made for so much more. And one of the ways we practice that in our community, again, an ancient way, is uh, by inviting ourselves in, back into God's story. Not inviting ourselves, but to, to take on God's story again. And this is the ancient practice. The, the word in the Bible that's used is called repentance. It's just to say, God, I, I've been walking in this direction, and I'm hearing your voice, and so I'm just turning around and walking back to you. Luther, uh, a person that we, um, a very famous theologian that's part of our, our theological uh, foundations here, he says that all of the Christian life is repentance. This is the invitation to find out the places that we're walking away from God's story and instead to turn and walk back. And so I invite you to do that and I invite you to join with us as we do that together as a group of people who learn repentance that we're recreated, that we're walking in relationship with God and relationship with one another for the extending of God's shalom into the world. Would you join me as we pray to close? God, thank you for this amazing and beautiful story. I pray that it would become um, more than just words, more than just a story in our lives, but actually something that becomes true of our family, that we are practicing and, and trying to live out uh, this vision of what it means to be in your family, what it means to be invited into your presence and what it means to be your people in the world. So teach us how to do that, we pray. I ask for um, yeah, your Holy Spirit to, to convict us, each of us, of the areas that we walk away from that. And would you draw us into your story um, through repentance? We, we ask in the name of Jesus, amen.